0: Christmas carols. I could sing them all year. And if I was a little less pastorally sensitive, we would. <laughs> the very same Christ-centered, God-glorifying songs that we sing each week we can sing at Christmas time, too. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of his love. I have a soft spot in my heart for these hymns. I also can't deny my affinity for a haunting minor key. (laughs) Things about the mystery of the incarnation. Songs about the longing and expectancy pervasive in so many of these songs. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. But objectively, there is a peculiar richness in the good news of Jesus Christ at Christmas time, as there should be. And the church is at her best when she proclaims the good news with joy and with conviction. The church does well to continually ponder the holiness of God and the love of God when we narrow our focus to that moment when God became a man for us. He became one of us. And why? Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The church should be especially invigorated at this time of year with the refrain that we could sing all throughout the year. Let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord who has made heaven and earth of nothing of naught, and with his blood mankind hath bought. But of course, I don't say all this to make a Selfish case for singing Christmas songs all year. Instead, I hope this morning we might examine together how the good news of Christmas is more than a seasonal touchpoint. Instead, the Christmas story presents us with an opportunity year-round to proclaim, to ponder, and praise God with the faith that is in us for this gift of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're a note-taker this morning, I've made it very simple for you. It's in the title, Proclaim ponder, and praise. Three responses of faith to the good news of Jesus' birth. The gospel according to Luke gives us the most extensive account of the events leading up to and following the birth of Jesus, and that's where we'll be spending our time this morning, in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. Allow me to back up and begin reading from verse 8. Father, we ask for ears to hear and eyes to see the glory of the gospel today as we look to your word. We so often lose our taste for the familiar, so give us, by your spirit, a renewed sense of wonder and a deepening faith in the Christmas message. Give us the same hope and peace and joy today as we meditate on the gospel together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In this incredible story, we see three responses of faith to the good news of Jesus' birth. Three responses from those who have received and believed the good news. The prophet Isaiah speaks on the Lord's behalf to us in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. That goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. As we were reminded last week from Pastor Lance, the message of angels was not bad news. It was good news to those who would receive it, to those who would believe it. Good news of great joy. And so we look to see for ourselves what springs forth from the fertile ground of faith. When God's good news falls upon it. The first response we see here in Luke is the proclamation of the shepherds. The shepherds waste no time and hurry to Bethlehem to find this baby. And when they saw him, Luke tells us, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You know, we should never take for granted how this story could have gone. The shepherds might have been so afraid that they did not know what to do. Imagine if they had run in terror. At the sight of the angels. Or imagine if they had doubted convincing themselves that they were seeing things. What if they decided to engage in a thorough debate about the merits of these claims and argue over their interpretation of the angels' words, never coming to terms with it, never seeking to confirm it. Or imagine if they'd been simply apathetic or forgetful or hard-hearted. Imagine any of those scenarios had been what had happened, and we would not know this amazing story. None of the other Gospels include this birth announcement. Neither Mark nor John have a birth story, and Matthew's Gospel is limited to Joseph's testimony of dreaming about the child to be born, a message from the angel. So consider again that the Christmas story, the good news of great joy for all people, rests on the faith and the proclamation. Of these humble shepherds. They did not neglect the message, nor scorn it, or scoff at it, or fear it. They trusted that it was from the Lord. The text tells us they made haste to bring him Lot, the babe, the son of Mary, to seek out the promise that was given to them. And they found it exactly as it had been told them. And what do they do next? They made known what they themselves had been told. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10. How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who preach good news. God chose shepherds to be the first Evangelist, preaching, there he is. There he is, just as the angel said, the Savior, the Lord, the Christ. The gospel, proclaimed through an angel, entrusted to shepherds, and sent into all the world to every heart that would prepare him room. How amazing that God predestined shepherds to be the first ears to hear it and the mouths to speak it. He is the Savior. He is Christ the Lord. See what the Lord entrusts to anyone who by faith receives the good news? They themselves are immediately made his evangelists. They proclaim the good news to all the world. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. 3,000 souls received that very same word at Pentecost as Peter preached. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. The Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified, 3,000 souls found their Savior at that same word. Jesus is Lord and Christ. The church is born of this gospel. The church is sustained by it. And the church would be reminded of this over and over and over. It is the very anchor of their faith As the Apostle Paul would tell to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The gospel begins with the Christmas story. Being found in human form, Paul says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue do what? Confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Those who receive the gospel by faith become proclaimers of the gospel to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. It started in Bethlehem. The shepherds believed and spread the good news in Bethlehem. And Luke doesn't tell us exactly who the shepherds shared the news with other than we know all who heard it and Mary, two audiences there that night. It appears that the audience is less important to Luke's account than those and what they responded to that news. I believe that distinction is important. Luke tells us at the very least, everyone who heard this news wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. And who wouldn't be? What an incredible announcement. You saw what? You heard what? That baby? The Christ? The Messiah? And you, you, said, he's, you said he's Lord? Are we even allowed to say that about a person? I mean, we know the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but I mean, we heard the rumors about Mary? Pregnant virgin? Could this really be a choir of angels, you say, proclaiming peace to us, to all the earth, not just Israel? How can that be? The light of glory? Weren't you scared? Wonder is the most natural reaction to God's work and God's word. It should not surprise us then that this news would be received as wonderful, marvelous, amazing, in fact, Luke uses these words, wonder and marvel, twice as many times as any other gospel account, as if to reinforce the point that the testimony of Jesus is filled with wonder. When Jesus healed, people wondered. When Jesus performed miracles, they were amazed. When Jesus taught, the people were awestruck. Everywhere Jesus went, it was all wide eyes and open mouths and gasps of unbelief. How could this be? This is so wonderful. And at the news of the shepherds, at the proclamation of the good news, all who heard it wondered. But Mary, that's a peculiar conjunction, isn't it? But it means that something about Mary's response was different. But Mary, the shepherds proclaimed the good news. All who heard it wondered. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. That would be the second response that we see of faith to the good news of Jesus' birth. She pondered. She treasured the good news in her heart. Luke tells us that she treasured up all these things. More accurately, she was treasuring up, actively collecting all things in her heart. She guarded these things. The words of the shepherds, the circumstance of their appearance, Having shown up in a hurry to find her and her newborn lying in a manger, she witnessed the reaction of those around her to the news, the wonder on their faces, their speechlessness or their questions or their confusion or their excitement. Mary is gathering snapshot after snapshot of this incredible experience and storing them away in her heart, guarding, protecting, preserving, keeping them safe one after another. And pondering, pondering. It's becoming an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Maybe that's because we live in a world that's sped up, constantly grabbing at our attention, assaulting us with experience after experience, manufactured wonder after manufactured wonder. We rarely have time or make time to ponder. It's a word that means to bring things together together. When we ponder our thoughts, when we ponder our experiences and our emotions, we weigh them against one another, trying to make them fit, seeking to understand them. Mary had treasured up a collection of many memories, very personal, very private, in fact. Many, only she would have known. And Luke tells us that she worked them over in her heart. Now, how could Luke know what was in Mary's heart? Well, I think we can safely assume that she told him. Look back for a moment at Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Tried to discern. Many translations say she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. That's maybe not an unusual reaction, but again, we then go to chapter 2, and Mary. it's again Mary who is doing something totally unique, pondering. Mary pondered these things. Okay, now go ahead to chapter 2, verse 33. This is the incidence of um, Jesus being presented at the temple. Simeon blesses the baby in chapter 2, verse 33, and Luke records for us that his father and his mother marveled. There it is, Luke's favorite word. They marveled at what was said about him. Wonder. Even Mary and Joseph continued to be surprised. Well, now notice what Simeon says directly to Mary. Verse 34 Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A parenthetical starts as if to tell us this is a very intimate personal memory. And a sword will pierce your own soul also. In other words, Mary, your your son has a great calling, but he will be persecuted and opposed for it. And all the while, you will suffer greatly too. That's quite a personal and weighty word, isn't it? Who else but her would have remembered it with such detail? Hold that in your mind as we go to one more text, just further down, chapter 2, verse 46. Verse 46. Luke finishes this chapter by describing the account of the boy Jesus being left behind by accident in Jerusalem by his parents. Verse 46 After three days, they found him in the temple. Parents, three days. (laughs) Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, rightly so. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And here's the kicker. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary did not understand these things, but she treasured them nonetheless. Can you see the theme? What we have in most of Luke 1 and 2 is Mary's account. It's very likely that Mary related all of her experience, even her innermost thoughts, to Luke or an intermediary. Whom we know from the opening verse of chapter 1 said, I investigated everything carefully from the beginning. Now who's a better primary source than Jesus' own mother? Who else would know Mary's innermost thoughts of her experience with Gabriel? Or know about the news of the shepherds? Or know about the words and the reception of Simeon, the personal prophecy to her? Or understand and know the panic and the confusion at Jesus' words in the temple that day? It would have been Mary, his mother. The pondering of Mary is our window into the Christmas story. She safeguarded every unbelievable moment, every thought, every confusion, every bit of wonder and pain surrounding her son. Mary, the steward of the Christmas story, by faith treasuring each moment, pondering their meaning. The shepherds were proclaimers of the gospel. The hearers wondered and marveled, but Mary, in contrast, by faith, Pondered these things. Mary does not ask to be convinced of anything. She simply receives it by faith and guards it for the future. Zacharias, you remember, questioned the angel and was struck mute for his lack of faith. Not Mary. Her response to the news that she would bear a son as a virgin, that he would be the son of God, that this son would sit on the throne of David and that his kingdom would have no end. And by the way, a bonus bit of news. Your elderly relative Elizabeth is pregnant as well. What was Mary's response? May it be done to me according to your word. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. One commentator gives us a helpful perspective on the kind of faith possessed here when he says that these things were, quote, too sacred, too miraculous for Mary. The mysteries were beyond her comprehension. Yet she treasured them and sought not so much to penetrate them as to draw the blessedness from them. Unlike the bold rationalist who disbelieves, rejects, or seeks to explain away what he does not understand about the mysteries of God, Mary regarded them as her dearest treasures, end quote. The fruit of the shepherd's faith was their proclamation. The fruit of Mary's was her pondering the promises, meditating on their meaning, treasuring the truths revealed to her so that one day we might benefit from her proclamation of these things. God has given to some of us in his church a faith like the shepherds and to others a faith like Mary's. Some have a faith that expresses immediately and with great enthusiasm in more outward fashion and others mine their faith inwardly for precious jewels. Then they bless the church in a more inward fashion through a quiet spirit of servanthood and unnoticed obedience. Both types of faith are incredibly simple and yet profound in their effect. That's the wonderful truth of the gospel. In all of its power to save, it is simple enough for the child, yet compelling enough for the sage, so that children could proclaim to Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David. And Paul could write, oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. See, we can all proclaim, we can all ponder, each as the Lord has provided for us by the faith he graciously gives to us. Mary was a proclaimer too, just not like the shepherds. We have this story thanks to her faithfulness in sharing it in its time so that it might find its way, way to Luke and then to the world and even to us. And if you want, you can go back later and read more of chapter 1, how, like the shepherds, Mary was in a hurry when she heard the news to share it with Elizabeth her words to her. My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She proclaims the good news, and she also praises God for the good news. That happens to be the third response of faith to the good news of Jesus' birth. Praise to God. And though we know of Mary's faith and response of praise from earlier in the chapter, in our text here, that praise comes from the shepherds. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. If there was ever any doubt about the shepherds' faith, that doubt is laid to rest by their praise. They were not simple messengers of the good news. They were partakers in it. Remember, The angel's words, I bring you good news, which will be for all people. This is the response of praise from the shepherd's faith. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is given, a son. Would not Mary also cherish that truth in her heart as well? Unto me a Savior is born. Unto me a son is given. Do you know that's the response we see the most often in the gospel? The second, Zacharias, pens the name of his son John on the tablet. His tongue is loosed, and what did he do? Luke tells us he began to praise God. In Luke 5, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man, he gets up, he grabs his mat, and he goes home glorifying God. When Jesus heals ten lepers in Luke 17, only one returns, glorifying God along the way to return to Jesus and give him thanks. In Luke 18, a blind man named Bartimaeus is healed by Jesus. And we read, immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. These physical healings by Jesus are meant to point us to our spiritual reality as well. What do all these healings and many more like them in the Gospels have in common? Jesus expressly tells us that in each it was their faith that made them well. And their faith brought praise to God, who worked wonders through their healing by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the pattern of faith in the life of every believer of God's good news to the world. Those who believe it, proclaim it, ponder it, and praise God for it. As the psalmist says, Psalm 111, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied, pondered by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Who can resist to give God praise and to glorify him for what he has done, no less in sending us his son to save us from our sin. It is God's prerogative to astonish the world with his power, with his righteousness, with his plan to save a people for his own possession that they might do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love how God's word is alive for us to know and to believe these truths. How about Psalm 64, where the experience of the Christmas story is practically mirrored. When God shows up to save his people from their enemies, the psalmist says, all mankind fears. They proclaim what God has brought about, and they ponder what he has done. But the psalmist says, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let the Upright in heart, exult. Aren't those the same circumstances we find here in Christmas? The story of Christmas, the glory of God on display, great fear and wonder, the proclamation of the good news, the pondering of this great news, and above all, words of rejoicing in the praises of the faithful. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. That is the invitation that the shepherds received when they first heard the good news from the heavenly host. Join the triumph of the skies. Proclaim with us that the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, is born. That is the invitation to Mary. Compose for us a song of this same theme. That the mighty one who has done great things for me, holy is his name. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. That is the invitation to all, at all times, in every place, receive and believe this good news. That is the call to respond to the good news with faith, not just wonder. Let me explain. Our family went to Disney World recently and. Uh, We did multiple parks, multiple days, lots of walking, lots of lines, but we were committed to just getting as much of the experience as we could. So on the last evening, my wife and I, along with my brother and his wife, um, we left the kids with the parents and we went out to try to get all the the rides in that we could, especially the ones that we had missed. And the, the big one that we had missed that week was Star Wars, Rise of the Resistance, and for this, we stood in line for nearly two hours. <laughs> the park had already closed, uh, but when you're in the queue, you're good to go. Now, the line, the, the, the line for this ride, the atmosphere, was designed to, to imagine to look like some futuristic starport on a planet in a galaxy far away. And uh, so as we wound our way back and forth through caverns and docking stations and control rooms to this imaginary place. By the end, we were supposed to be believing we'd actually entered into space, a real place. Um, uh, we were exhausted, so our state of mind was perfectly primed for suggestion. <laughs> um, but this ride really was uncanny in its representation of the places and the people of the films, and the designers had fabricated everything to simulate perfectly this world This imaginary place, even the cast and crew, they were dressed and they were in character and they welcomed us to be a part of the play. We were encouraged to join the story. And of course, the whole time I thought, well, this is really cute. (laughs) But that changed very quickly when the ride started. The cute turned to awe very quickly. For the next 10 minutes or so, my face showed my wonder. And I'm ashamed to admit I was more visibly and vocally expressive than I like to be. At one point, in fact, I'm almost certain, I looked over and I saw one of our party who will remain unnamed, and I watched them yell, no, as if they were actually in danger. And I did what you're doing. I laughed. But then a second later, it was me doing the same thing. We all exited that ride on such a high. It was awe-inspiring. We walked a couple miles to get out of the park, and the entire way, we were absolutely elated. We were retelling each other of our own experiences on the ride, practically singing its praises. I'm not sure we we ever really felt fear, per se, but we certainly experienced wonder. But ultimately, it was an experience. It was an amazing, joyful experience memorable, incomparable experience, but it wasn't real. My life was not radically altered that day. In the grand scope of things, it was a firework. Pop, whistle, boom, fizzle, done. I propose to you that wonder, as wonderful as it is, is not a response of faith. It is a legitimate reaction to the wonderful, but it is not a faith response. Many wondered and marveled when Jesus was born. Many wondered at healings and miracles and parables and everything in between. The power of God was on display in Jesus in a way that had not been the case since God delivered his people from Egypt. Many wondered, but few believed. Many asked for a sign, but few hung around when the spectacle was over. Many waited and looked for the Messiah to appear, but few recognized him when he did. Despite all the evidence, despite all the wonders of his appearing, many experienced Jesus, but few were changed by him. And that's the cautionary tale of wonderment and faith that begins here in the Christmas story and continues throughout the gospel. We do well to remember that all who heard the news from the shepherds wondered, but we see only a few who believe, only a few who went to proclaim the good news, only a few who pondered it, only a few who praise and glorify God for that news that night. These responded by faith. Did you know even Jesus experienced wonder? He who built the starry skies He whose glories know no end, he who now sits in majesty, he experienced surprise, wonder. It's a strange irony that we find in the two instances that that takes place in the Gospels. Allow me to read them for you. The first is in Mark chapter 6 where we read that Jesus came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. <gasps> and they said, "Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How how are such mighty works done by Here's the turn. his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us?" Do you see how their wonder turned very quickly? It says they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And here's the verse. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. What does it take to surprise the Son of God? Unbelief in the presence of the truly wonderful. What was the other thing that made Jesus wonder? We find that in Matthew chapter 8, in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman, came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 10 says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So what is it that makes Jesus wonder and marvel? It's also true faith, which trusts in the word before the wonder. If the God of wonders, the king of glory, so elevates faith, shouldn't we? It is, after all, the single most important decision we will ever make. Will you believe? Will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and will you accept him as your Lord and Savior, he who left a throne of glory to become one of us, to die in our place, to bear in his body the punishment for your sin, for my sin. He who was raised to life, what a wonder, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures in victory over death and the power of hell. You know more, you know more of the story than the shepherd's Ever did. You know more than Mary could have ever known, which means you are invited to the good news, into a relationship with God that makes the, even the angels of heaven wonder and marvel. Each one of us, the good news is for all for the young, for the old, for the rich, for the poor, for the wise and learned, for the simple. For those near, for those far. So for those who have not yet believed, hear the good news and wonder and ponder and believe. Brothers and sisters, remember that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us indeed the message of heaven is entrusted to us as proclaimers to all the world the gospel is ours to treasure and ponder with all humility trusting in the promises made to us and receiving every assurance of that blessed future to come treasure his word Treasure Christ in your heart and join with saints before. Join with saints to come in praise to the Savior of our souls. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Father, even today you lead us to your son by a heavenly word of good news. You destined that we would view Christ on this side of the manger and the cross in this time, in this place. And you have blessed us in this way that our wonder and joy might be full, that we might see your plan of salvation in its fullest light, in its fullest expression, in Jesus, your son. Jesus, we, we can rejoice in your glorious coming to earth first to live and heal and teach and work wonders so that we might know you and the Father and might trust in you and might find life in you. We long for that day when you will return in glory with a new heavenly host robed in white, your army, your church, your choir. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make all our wonder and all our pondering to result in saving faith. Help us to know peace and joy, salvation and hope. Fill our hearts and fill our mouths with praise to Jesus our Lord and Christ, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.